0: This is David Tarkington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orange Park, Florida. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For any other information or questions you may have, please go to firstfam.org or give us a call at 904-264-2351. Amen. You may be seated. There are moments when we come together for worship where, and we'll talk more about this in two two Sundays from now. Uh, Today we're... Still in the book of Hebrews, next Sunday, we have two services in the morning and an evening, and so the messages will be tied to that Christmas message primarily, and then we'll come back on the last Sunday of the month and finish up the book of Hebrews and talking a lot in that last Sunday, that last sermon about worship and about uh, how so often in in our church culture today we have turned the word worship into an adjective to describe an office, a position, or a type of song. Church, I want to commend you. Um, there are moments when you just come to church and you listen to other people sing on a stage. and that's fine uh, at times, but that's not always worship. Often that can be a concert kind of setting. And then there are moments like you just experienced, when the instruments kind of died down and the, the voices got louder. and for some, the song was new. For others, it is one that you have known for a while and and may i say and and just because you sing loudly doesn't necessarily mean you're worshiping but i would dare say that if we're not singing loudly often we are not so i think it was a beautiful offering of praise to our lord today through your voices as the worshipers and so our father is honored our lord is glorified and and it is a major shift in American Christian culture today that views the music portion of a service as little more than like the trailer before the movie, where people can come in late because they didn't miss anything. It's just the music. May we never be that church. May we no longer be that church that views every service that we come to as a pre-orchestrated three points and a joke, three songs and an offering, however we kind of done it for years, but have a fresh moment with our Lord an orderly time of gathering but a time of worship we continue in the book of Hebrews today and I'm excited about where God is leading us as we have found ourselves for the last week today and then in two weeks in the epilogue of this book chapter 13 for those who are guests I am glad you're here my name is David Tarkington I'm the pastor here for those who are members I'm actually glad you're here too so thank you for joining us and for those uh, who are, are joining us online, everyone who get everyone who lives in a neighborhood where the road is flooded, you have a pass for one day pass. This is it. You don't get the pass next week. Uh, other other than being pr- pr- uh, uh, hindered because of your health, we want you in the room, not quote unquote worshiping online. I'm not quite sure that counts. So. Thank you for joining us online, but if you don't live in our community, let me just encourage you. If you don't live in the Orange Park area and you tune in every Sunday morning to join us online and you live outside the area, please send me an email and I will send you a list of godly, gospel-centered churches near where you live and encourage you to find a home where you can walk into a building and be together with other believers. It's hard to do any of the one-anothers of faith when you do it virtually. For those who are providentially hindered due to health, We offer this online service for you so that you can have a connection with us. And for those of you who have floodwaters in your driveway, it's for you today. So thank you for joining us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, beginning there, it says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you a highlighter? Anybody highlight in their Bible? I mean, some of you are online, and it's an easy thing. You just click the button, hit highlight, and it does it on your phone. If you you have given yourself permission to write in your own copy of God's Word, which if you haven't given yourself permission, and you like the gold to stick on the pages and all that, I understand. It's a pretty book. But it's also valuable for study. And there are moments when a highlight or an underline or a star... Next to a verse might be to your advantage to help you remember. So if you're a highlighter, verse 8's a good one, not that the others aren't, but verse 8 speaks a lot. I'll read it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Amen. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. We have um, traditionally spent the entire month of December preaching through Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Christ and New Testament stories about the birth of Christ, And, and that is important and valuable, and many of you have already done that in your small groups this morning as you have gone through your Bible study lessons, as you should. And of course, next Sunday on Christmas Eve, we have two messages, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, both centered on that But don't discount that when we're preaching out of another book of the Bible, that it is not absent of the Christ whose birth we celebrate this month. And so you're going, well, this isn't a Christmas message. They're all Christmas messages. And they're all Easter messages. None of them are Arbor Day messages, if you're picking a holiday. But we're just going to go with the religious ones that we look at as Resurrection Sunday and the Incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this time of year. It's all connected. Let me ask you a question, is anybody this morning, just today, we're going to give you just today, anybody today, have you forgotten anything? Like when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot what I forgot, but I know I forgot something, I see that. Maybe you left home and you pull into the parking lot and you're like, oh, I meant to pick up that, whatever. So from the pastor of forgetfulness to the congregation of I can't remember, here we are. Looking at the value of remembering things. So as we look at the last book, this last chapter of this book of Hebrews, it is considered an epilogue by many. As we read it, you'll find some things that are perhaps a, and let there be light. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's, I don't know. I'm looking at the Bob, Robert Powell, Robert Powell in the background. Can you see? Okay. Just know I can see you. So if I look back there and you're in deep prayer with a prayer language that sounds like I'm going to call you out <laughs> cuz it's gotten it's really dark in that back row right now all right So as you're reading chapter 13 it might seem initially disjointed because they're closing thoughts, they're kind of like coming in and in a, in, in, not random, it's not random, it just may seem that way, but you have to remember those receiving the letter for the first century, these Hebrew believers, these closing thoughts are connecting a lot of things that they're dealing with, as well as connecting a lot of things that have been addressed in the entirety of the letter. And so, uh, as we look at chapter 13, even though it feels like at the end of chapter 12, I mean, at the end of chapter 12, it, it says, for our God is a consuming fire. We talked of this last week. We did the first six verses of 13 last week. Now we're in, in, in verse 7 through 14. Um, of course, you all know that there were no verses in the original letter. It was just a letter, no chapters either. But we're seeing it all all kind of come together, and and I'm finding four things I want to touch on today, just four things. And I know when I say four things, you're going, wait a minute, usually, preacher, you only have three things, and now you're having four things, and I've got to look at what time are we getting out of here? I know what you're thinking. I have no idea what time you're getting out of here, but I'm going to get out of here when I'm done. So we've got four things, right? (laughs) And these four things are things we have been called to, not necessarily in, in ascending order of importance, so don't look at it that way, but four things that we have been told in this passage based on verse 7, the first word. What is that first word in verse 7? Remember. See, we're all working together now. See how this is? Robert, you there? What's the first word? You awake? All right. Man, he's going to say, I am never going to sit back here again. He's gonna, I'm going to call him up. Remember, remember, remember. So four things. Remember the leaders, remember the Savior, remember the truth, and remember the sacrifice. Again, four points, just four things, really. And I know, as I said, remember these four things, you might be going, well, yeah, I remember. That's obvious. But I believe there's more here than you may initially realize. Now, now, why is there such an emphasis by God on remembering things? And it's not just the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit, at this moment, that says, remember. It is throughout the Scripture you'll find this theme of remembering. You'll have Jesus gathering with his disciples for that last supper before the the crucifixion and the resurrection, obviously, there to follow. And as he gathers with that supper, with that meal, that Passover meal, he tells them to do this again and to do it in remembrance of himself and all that he is doing, to do this as a and to remember him. If you go back to the Old Testament, in the middle of the Bible, you see the Psalms, the book of Psalms, that old hymn book uh, that has been given to us. The psalmist wrote about remembering God's name and God's benefits. The Israelites were commanded in the book of Deuteronomy to remember their bondage and slavery. Don't forget where you came from. Remember. Christians are are told to uh, remember their bondage to sin, as Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Remember that you were once held bondage to your own sinfulness, not unlike the Israelites of old who were held in slavery physically. We're to remember where we've come from. The promises of God are the focus of remembrance throughout the book of Joshua. First century Christians are reminded over and over again of the hope they have in Christ and commanded not to forget this reality. The church is told to remember that Jesus Christ said he would return And that as believers, we are to watch and to wait and to be faithful in this waiting. And there are many more. Throughout scriptures, you see this theme of remembering. We are told, this is pretty deep. You might want to make sure I've got you focused right now. We are told to remember so often. Why? Because we forget so much. Some of us, I used to say some of you, but now I say some of us. Or of a certain age where like I could tell our students, I have forgotten more than you've ever learned. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's just age. And you you know, the brain, uh, the terabyte, I actually have like a 100 megabyte brain, but um, I run out of memory. We are are forgetful people, but we have been commanded, hey, don't forget. What's easier said than done? So to be intentional about not forgetting is to be strategic in remembering. To do that which we must do to make sure we do remember as best we can. Because we, we all know, and we, we have family members, I have family members, you have family members that are struggling with one or two or both of these diseases that seem to strip the memories out of our loved one's brains, whether it be dementia or Alzheimer's or some other element like that. And it is tragic for the one who is suffering by that, and you understand, and it is tragic for the loved ones who are watching it happen and feel helpless. But what is worse than even that, we had a funeral service here yesterday for one of our dear saints, one of our ladies who died just a couple weeks ago, and for seven years she was in a assisted living home, and she had fallen into this world of dementia and had forgotten more than I. no no jokes aside at all here she had forgotten more than she than we can attest to and and it was hurtful for her and harm and, and and painful for her family members and loved ones but because we are told to not lose hope and to remember the hope we have in Christ and because we acknowledge and recognize that this dear saint like many of you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at a very young age, that that did not expire at any point during her journey of life here on the planet. And why God saw fit to leave her almost a decade with that mental um, uh, disease overtaking her, I, I don't have an understanding of why. But I do understand the promise that we are to remember the hope we have in Christ. And so the cloudiness of lost memories are erased when the person who has been fully sanctified and now glorified in the presence of our Lord is made new. Heaven matters, and life here on earth matters. So physical and mental dementia and Alzheimer's or whatever other elements we put into that category are very painful and very real. But what is even probably never talked about because it's viewed as not a big deal is spiritual amnesia amnesia or spiritual dementia, if you want to call it that. And I'm not trying to offend anybody who's facing another element, I'm just saying there is a spiritual element here that often as believers we are so forgetful of the place where we have come from. Most of us have forgotten, how, now you know, we know it up here, but we, we don't live like, we have forgotten uh, how our depravity has assigned us to a, an eternity separated from God in a place called hell except but for the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has rescued us from that pit and given us a new name. I dare say if we would remember, we would not have to coax worship out of the church. Remember your leaders is the first point, though. And this one's a little awkward for a leader to bring up, but let me just go ahead and bring this up. Verse 7 once more. Remember the leaders, your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. So just by the way, time out just in case you're thinking, are these like political leaders? Are they political party leaders? Are they kings? Are they presidents? No. That's a different message for a different day, and there is a right place in that role, but this is a unique leader to the church. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Remember the leaders is is not actually the, the proper term. It's remember your leaders. By the way, leadership is a huge business. Just, just go, I did this. I went on Amazon because, uh, you know, it's easier and quicker than going to a physical bookstore. So I went on, if you can find them. So I went on Amazon, and I searched for books that had the title or the word leadership in the title, 60,000 plus. The plus just says, we're tired of adding them up. So, you know, I'm like, okay, 60,000 plus books on leadership, whether a corporate mogul, a successful coach some self-proclaimed leadership guru, or any number of other experts out there, it does not take a genius to see that there is a market, if you want to make money, there is a market for leadership, coaching, and help. Yet this passage has nothing to do with that. And sometimes in our American um, kind of our Madison Avenue baptized version of Christianity, we like to just kind of look at that as the same. That, that's fine for what that is. I'm not even talking badly about leadership stuff. I'm just saying that's not what this is about. See, this passage is not about the latest principles or the laws of the leader or the manifesto of leadership or, the, or, or even the servant leadership guidebook. You can find all of these. Or it's not about principles to succeed. This is a focus about, on the people who have been called and been given and have sacrificed and taught in the past and in the present, and not taught anything, but taught the Word of God. And even this comes today with a lot of red flags for many. Let me just say, in the, in the, in the world we're in today, in the, the de-churching of America, when we talk about, and, and you read this verse, and if you don't read anything else, and you can, you can build a whole conference on one verse and do it really, really poorly. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Do you know what a red flag is? You understand in the, in the culture, not like a literal flag that is red. You understand what a red flag is? It's, it's when someone says something or there is a speech that is given or you've met somebody and, and, and your discernment alarm is going off in the back of your head and a little red flag is waving. Not a literal one, but you, you kind of, there's something, you can't put your finger on it, but there's something not quite right. And so you're cautious about going all in with that individual. Red flags are real. And the reason that many people have red flags that pop up in their mind when you read a verse in Hebrews 13, verse 7 that says, Remember your leaders. We'll get later to the one that says obey them. That's a fun one. The reason the red flags pop up is varied. Because we do not have to think very long to come up with a list of really terrible leaders. You know, negative negative things are easier to come up with than positive things, so it doesn't take me long to come up with a list of bad guys. And if we simply stayed in the business world or the sports world or the celebrity culture world, it, it's amazing. Like, just say business leadership principles. It's a New York Times bestseller today until, like, Enron go, does what Enron does, and now it's not a bestseller. It's a bargain book, and who would read that guy's principles of leadership, right? I mean, it's that kind of world we're in. So business that way. It's a bestselling leadership book by the coach that just won the Super Bowl, and two years later, he wins two games and is fired. So do you want to read that book? We're very temporal, but in the, the church world, it's even worse because here it gets more personal. In the church world, the list of those who claimed a calling of servanthood who have easily slid into a category of self-righteous, quote-unquote, men of God, and I don't say that, I say that because that phrase has been hijacked, right? Don't, don't talk badly about the man of God kind of thing. Well, there are bad men of God out there who are intent on power, even if that group that they have power over is super super tiny and small. And that group has left so many, far too many, wounded, hurt, and traumatized. And it is very real. But we're also in an era where the good leaders in our stories are often ignored, or worse, yes, just clumped into the category with all the bad ones that show up. So when you find a bad one, you go, they're all like that. Well, hopefully they're not all like that. But it doesn't take but just a few to sour everybody's opinion on the the entirety of it. Because we do know there are really some bad examples out there. And good ones get clumped in with the bad ones so that the accusations of protecting the religious cash cow or the brand of the church or the ministry of the day can be perpetuated. No wonder the red flags are flying. And no wonder some have drifted and walked away. And yet, thankfully, the statistics tell us, and the, they've finally done some research on this over the last four or five years, that the percentage of those who have hurt other people through spiritual leadership is actually very small. So those that have de-churched and walked away from the church and don't attend anymore, the vast, vast majority are not walking away because some preacher hurt their feelings or he was abusive or he did things incorrectly or wrong. There are those stories, but that's not the vast majority. And I guess that's a good thing, but it's really hard to say it's a good thing because let's just say it's only 2%, which it ends up being around 2%. If it's 2% of people who have de-churched because of a really bad apple behind a podium who has used power in a very personal way, leadership in a very abusive way, and not just emotionally and spiritual, but even tragically physically and the other things, even if it's only 2%, guess what? For the 2%, it was 100% bad for them. So we can't just say, well, it's just, at least we're doing pretty good. You're doing good unless you're the one that was hurt, I guess. For those who have been hurt, taken advantage of, those watching online perhaps, or just a clip of this sermon maybe, for those who have been sold a bill of goods with just enough Jesus to make it sound Christian... And have been left in the wake of poor, ungodly leaders. Let me say this, and, and I hope you do understand I do mean this. I am sorry that you have experienced that. And your hurt is very real. And your hurt matters. But there are some, and maybe even some here today, who really wish I would stop bringing this kind of stuff up. You just don't like hearing it. uh, the 31st is going to be more fun because I bring it up again but I'm just let's stay today here's why it has to be brought up every, every time the scripture leads us into that because wounded sheep are also the calling of the shepherd and if we cease to acknowledge real pain even when it's not advantageous to the church brand then we are eliminating a huge portion of the gospel meaning that we've eliminated the gospel Jesus is for hurt people Jesus is not about hurting people. So today, regardless of your personal story, let me take you to a word from God's Word. It may be easy for some to handle and difficult for others, but thanks be to God, it has been given to each of us as a redemptive truth, power, and healing. It's a reminder to me that there have been many who have come before to teach, to lead, to train, and disciple. The vast majority of people who are believers in this room today at some point in their journey of living on this planet probably were taught the Bible by someone other than me, a different pastor at a different church in a different state at a different time. They had influence over you and they poured into you and you, whether you heard it or not, it was somewhere there. It, it, it began to, to germinate that seed of the gospel within you as God has been working from, from his intention from the moment he created you for redemption's purpose. It's a reminder to me that, that, that what seems like I didn't pick the journey I went on, I didn't live where I chose to live, I just ended up being a child growing up in a family that moved a lot. But God had a plan even in that, and a lot of pastors along the journey who are now in heaven poured into me. Pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth ministers. It's a reminder to me that even those who seemingly were not listening Those who seem to ignore the teaching and no longer care to attend church, that resilience on our part and perseverance on our part is greatly needed because God does the work through us who are faithful. This is the epilogue that states to the persecuted and fearful Hebrew Christians who read it first, to remember... We're looking at it 2,000 years later thinking, well, we've got to remember 2,000 years of stuff. They're told at that moment to remember. Remember who? Remember the leaders who spoke the word to you. Listen to that. That's what the, that's what the writer tells the Hebrew believers. That's what the Spirit tells us today. Remember the leaders who spoke the word to you. Not their word, but the word, even if you didn't want to hear it. Anybody ever heard a Bible study that you wish you hadn't had to hear? Anybody? Any, anybody, if you had your druthers, that's a, that's a, that is a real word, you can look it up, druthers, would eliminate some of the verses out of Scripture because you don't like them. I mean, I, I get to those, and that's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't, that's convicting. I don't like that. But the fullness of the Word of God is what God has given us, and it is essential that we know it. So not only are we speaking the words, but we must model it in our actions. This isn't, this is speak aloud and say it aloud, but make sure your walk matches your talk. Thus, these Hebrew believers and these early Christians did not have to write a book on servant leadership. They just served because that's what their godly leaders did. They served. They did not prop themselves up, but God, who is propped up, for that is what a disciple does. I don't know, maybe providentially, that's why we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. In this one instance, God decided that we didn't need to know, so that we would lean more heavily at this point to say, well, that's not just Paul's word, or that's not Barnabas's word, or that's not John's word, or that's not, this, while all of that is fully God's word, this is obviously from God, because they said, we're not even going to elevate the human author at this juncture. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Right leaders called by God, not motivated by selfish gain, and qualified by Scripture have been placed by God in the lives of His people for His glory and our good. Leaders have a particular responsibility for the lives of those under their authority. And if the readers obey the gospel, the leaders will rejoice instead of groan. That came from a a word from Dr. Tom Schreiner, who wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews, because so often leaders groan because followers don't follow. But if the readers obey the gospel, the leaders rejoice. Later in this chapter, which is the closing chapter, leaders are mentioned again. But that seems to be a different group, by the way. That, that, that's the ones to, rem- this is the leaders that we are to remember, not focus on obeying. So remember. Remember, though, let's look at that word remember. It's strange. We would likely think words like honor or respect, but that's not what the writer gives us. That's not what the spirit gives us. It could be that the leaders that are referenced here in the early church were so bold in their faith in this age of very present martyrdom. I mean, this wasn't just if you preach the gospel, people make fun of you. This is if you preach the gospel, people kill you that these leaders had given their lives likely for the sake of the gospel. This is not unlike hearing some to say, do not let them have died in vain. So the writer says, remember your leaders who, to a danger to their own lives, saw fit to make sure that you heard the word and they taught you faithfully. It is clear that the faith these believers held, was so, they were so close to abandoning it but they persevered. So what do we get from that, Christians, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when 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 it's, you know, I'd rather be somewhere else kind of mentality. When you're ready to quit, when you're ready to just walk away, remember those who did not. And when you say, yeah, yeah, but they were different, they were not. They were flesh and blood just like you with weaknesses just like yours. And they had many opportunities where they wish they had could have just said, I give up and I quit, but they did not. They persevered. They pressed on. And so the writer says, remember your leaders and do what they did. This is motivation, not coach talk. This isn't to win the game. This is a life lesson right Remember the leader. Secondly, remember the Savior. Verse 8, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, highlightable verse, incredible. Change is a part of life, right? Change happens. People people change their looks. Neighborhoods change the way they look. There are communities and neighborhoods in our county today that 10 years ago were just forests and fields. Some of you live in homes like that. Everyone that lives in our county today, at one point, your home was in the middle of a forest or a field. I mean, that's, you can kind of think about that just go all the way back. Change takes place. Communities change. Relationships change. Everything changes except God. God the Father does not change, God the Son does not change, God the Spirit does not change. The Word of God is immutable and unchanging, and the immutability, that's what that means, unchanging, the immutability of God is revealed throughout the Old and New Testaments. So even though our Savior has died, was buried, and rose again, and has ascended to the heavens now and dwells in that splendor, He is who He has always been. See, this, this, This gets confusing because you're going, well, I didn't think Jesus showed up. Jesus always has been. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is before that first Christmas. He has always been the Son. He is the same. And God in his fullness is the same in his love. And he is the same in his wrath. He is the same in his mercy and the same in his compassion. He is the same in his tenderness. So when you think about yesterday, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That's what Jesus did yesterday. He's always been the same. He's the same today. Well, who is he? He's our high priest before the Father, able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses in every respect. It says so in Hebrews 4:15 that in every respect he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever as Hebrews 7:25 says, always living to make intercession for us. Thus, you and I, we as a church, do not simply serve an historic Jesus. We do not serve a contemporary Jesus. We do not serve a relevant Jesus or any other weak add-on adjective added to the name Jesus, but we have a Savior to remember, to know, and to rest upon who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Any church willing to make Jesus relevant has already stated that they are irrelevant as a church, Just go ahead and file that away. We're trying to make Jesus relevant to a modern culture. God is probably so thankful you finally showed up to fix his church. But it is impossible to make that which is eternally relevant more relevant. Our Savior is remembered for who he is. Son of God, God the Son. Verse 9, we are to remember the truth. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace And not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The command is not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. That sounds easier said than done. But this is why godly leaders are to be remembered. For they taught the truth. They taught the gospel. They planted the seeds. They watered the seeds. And many who received the letter first, this initial letter, were the fruit of the labors of the many who had come before So when the command to remember the leaders of old as well as the godly ones present was given, it was not to pump up the cult of personality, but to show that there have been many whom God has called and placed over his sheep throughout the ages." Some were pastors and elders and overseers. Others were historic leaders whose stories were shared over and over. But there have been and always will be those who show up with a quote-unquote new revelation or a quote new word from God or a new illustration or a new point to be made. Illustrations are not inherently bad, but eventually all of them fall apart. So personalities can be very attractional, be very, very uh, charismatic, but they can also hide very dark hearts. False teachers always show up, they always have, they always will. And sometimes they show up within the confines of the local church. Sometimes they show up in places of prominence. And at other times, just like snakes in a hen house, asking questions that sound far too much like another snake. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, there was the serpent who asked this question of God's image bearer, Eve. Did God really say, fill in the blank? Cults abound. They always have. False religions pop up on the scene all the time. Some would say they're easy to spot, but if they were so easy to spot, I heard, a, I heard a podcast yesterday that currently in America today, there are over one million people who are inherently bound inside a cultic group. And out of that million, a portion of them are in religious cults. So not every cult is religious, by the way. But how do you spot religious cults? The only way to spot a fake is to know the truth. If you collect fakes, you're just collecting a bunch of fakes, you'll never know what is real, but if you know the truth, the fakes will show, the red flags will pop up. Remember the truth, but you cannot, here's the thing, remember the truth, that's the command, but but you cannot remember that which you never knew. This echoes what I spoke of a few weeks back, and as we close, finally, remember the sacrifice, verses 13 through 14. You'll see those there on the screen behind me. It speaks of the sacrifice of the Old Testament and being outside the camp and Christ being outside the camp and bringing reproach upon himself. This points the readers back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus as, uh, most specifically, and the sacrificial system and the need for the blood of animals to make atonement. But the sacrifice to remember here that the writer and the Spirit of God is giving us is not simply to remember the bulls and the lambs of the Old Testament and the law, but to remember the ultimate sacrifice that fulfilled that. This is a contrast passage. Animals suffered and bled and were sacrificed in the Old Testament because God required it with that one law that remains true throughout history that the wages of sin is death, as Paul even stated. The wages of sin has always been death. Perhaps we have turned sin, maybe this is our problem, that we don't see the severity of sin anymore. We live in a, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, it's all good kind of mentality. Or maybe it's a, well, my bad. (laughs) That's not a confession of, a, a prayer of confession to the Lord. If you're like, dear Lord, my bad, that's not a prayer of confession. Sometimes we say my bad, it's more like, well, yeah, I guess I'll say my bad, but it's not that big a deal. We don't understand the severity of sin, perhaps, because we have ignored the wrath of God which always requires a significant payment. The Israelites knew this, and at least they were taught this, yet even they, who were brought up in the sacrificial system over the decades and the hundreds of years that went by, it appears they forgot the severity of sin as well. Why? Because we are all a forgetful people. But if you'll notice in that one section of this passage, the emphasis was on being outside the camp, or outside the walls of Jerusalem, the holiness of God is not up for debate or to be minimized, but the passage I just read or the passage that that last section, verses 10 through 14, echoes Psalm 50. Psalm 50 is the, where the ultimate desire of God is clearly not the sacrifices of animals. Even though that's kind of mind-blowing, right? Because he's the one that set it up. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't just want sacrifices. But listen clearly here. God does not desire these sacrifices. Somehow people think they're actually sacrificing something they alone own. You know, they bought a bull, so they sacrifice the bull. They have a goat, they sacrifice their goat. They buy a lamb, they sacrifice their lamb. And in their mind, they're convincing themselves, well, this is mine. I'm giving it up to God. But God makes it clear throughout Psalm 50 in the Old Testament that he already owns all those animals anyway. So the gifts that are being sacrificed for the sins of humanity are gifts given to the human beings to give back to God that God already owns. Think about that. We are a culture of collectors. We collect stuff. And when we don't have enough room in our home to put our stuff, we go rent a room somewhere else to put stuff. We pay people to hold our stuff. We love stuff, and so we think we own it. But you do understand the reality of the accumulation of all the stuff that we think we own, what eventually that happens, right? What eventually happens is someone related to you has to figure out how to divvy all that up after your funeral. And those sentimental things that I have at my house of long dead great-grandparents and old clocks, unless I have family that wants it, it's going to Cracker Barrel. (laughs) And it's going to hang on a wall somewhere. While somebody's ordering their breakfast, they're going to look at that old picture of my family (laughs) and order eggs over easy. (laughs) Stuff. The old covenant sacrifices were made outside the camp. Why? Well, just as Jesus was sacrificed outside the wall on a cross in a place named after the skull. In the Hebrew system of laws, on the Day of Atonement, a bull was slain to atone for the sins of the priest and his family. A lamb was killed to atone for the sins for everybody else that's in the family of God and God's people, the Israelites. The blood of these slain animals was then taken into a room called the Holy of Holies, but the carcasses were taken outside the camp to be burned. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27 gives instruction. Thus, under this Old Testament system, the people could not partake of the great offering because the people were not allowed in the Holy of Holies to take the blood that was sacrificed on their behalf. Only the priest could do that on that one day. Only the priest. But here's where we are today, and I just don't think we let this sink in enough. I know I don't. We no longer have a need for a sacrifice of atonement. Why is that? Because the eternal Son of God, God the Son, who always is the same, yesterday, today, and forever, wrapped himself in human flesh. The Lamb of God himself died on a cross to pay the ransom for the sins of all who would receive. And he died outside the city. What's the significance of that? Because his sacrifice was open for any Gentiles or Jews. And not constrained to an individual alone who was allowed in a room called the Holy of Holies. But the sacrifice was for all who would receive. The Christ is our accessible Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. Thus, we don't have sacrifices for atonement anymore. But what do we have? We offer a sacrifice of praise. Let that sink in for all who choose not to praise this Lord who did it all for us. You don't have to have a sacrifice for atonement. That's been paid. But for the Christians in the room to choose not to praise our Lord? What is that akin to? Spitting in the face of God? Worship must flow from the heart of his people. As we lead, it's not just music but it is a portion of how we sing our praises to him and how we live must match what we sing and we say so that our lives are daily sacrifices of praise. Remember and know, remember and receive. Our praise team is going to lead us in closing song and we're going to stand again. And some go, I don't know, why do we stand when we sing? so that those behind me can't see the screen, that's why, not really, because it's easier to scroll your phone and to pick up your bag and your purse and to just sit and listen to others sing when you're seated, and it's easy to do that while you're standing, but not as easy, and when you do stand and sing, it seems to be louder. Father, we pray as we praise you through song in this closing portion of this service.